I'm super excited for uh, these sisters who have their heart uh, burdened by God to serve and raise awareness for evils like that. And as we sing the song, The Goodness of God, you know, this is the reason why the gospel continues to move, continues to work in this world, because there are still corners and, and places in this world that the goodness of God has not touched, has not been redeemed. So uh, we we'll continue to pray for that. And to that end, uh, we're, I want to review, uh, we'll go back to our sermon series. The last two weeks, we've been off uh, uh, one for Thanksgiving, second also uh, for baptism. We're super excited that uh, baptism, last week we got to celebrate with a couple of brothers uh, who got baptized. Uh, but we're going back to finish up our last two, uh, a DNA of our discipleship. Now, what does it mean to be disciples of Christ? And so before I do that, I want to kind of do a quick review since we're two weeks off. We've been talking about really one gospel, many parts. As we look at these DNAs of being a disciple of Christ, is, is there are many, this is really just one gospel, but many, many aspects of it that we're touching. The first one we talked about is trust, that we, are er, we move from being an earner to becoming heir of Christ. And we do that by trusting in Jesus, that we can trust him because God is a merciful God. It is a merciful, merciful gospel. The second one, we talked about the journey from moving from self-hearted to soft-hearted. We talked about how in ourselves, we have no ability to stay soft-hearted toward God. We're created uh, with sinful, uh, we're, we've been uh, infiltrated with a sinful nature, make us hard-hearted toward God. And as God saves us, we, we give us the word and by obeying it, there's an aspect of the gospel about obedience toward God. We also talked about moving from isolation to community. That we talked about how we're made not just to be on our own. That we're made to be in community. We talked about the communal aspect of the gospel. No one person is able to live the life that Jesus calls to do. In fact, the community is actually the gift. As much as sometimes we feel like it is not. Uh, for, uh, fourthly, we talked about moving from being a consumer to a producer. That we're not keeping our hands open and say, give, 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 give to me. But the aspect of the gospel we talked about is a serving gospel. A gospel of servanthood. And then uh, two weeks ago, we talked about moving from being charitable to extravagant. That we're not just, if I have extra, I'll give. But the gospel that Jesus demonstrated for us is a radically generous gospel. That he did not give to us out of excess, but he give it all to us. That is above and beyond what we have, uh, what we, uh, all that we have. And so today we're going to move on to the, our sixth DNA, our sixth journey. And we're going to talk about moving from being a receiver to give, being a giver. That we're not only just taking kind of the consumer mindset, we're not just receiving, but we're also giving away the things that God has given to us. That we're not just receiving, giving to others to uh, the things that we receive from God. So uh, before, I, uh, before we start, before we look in the passage today, let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your word. God, thank you so much because as you have said in your own word that it is as sweet as honey to us. Even though at times that we don't feel that way, but Lord, we know that your word is what sustains us. Your truth is what gives us life. So would you sanctify us this morning as we look into the word of God? As we look into the truth that you have for us this morning. Lord, help us to understand it. 
Help us to internalize it. Help us to commit to obey it. And help us to share it with the world. So God, be with me as, I, as your servant, as your vessel. Lord, speak through me. Lord, guard my heart. Guard my mind. Lord, would you open the hearts of all those who are listening to your word. Lord, accomplish the purpose for which you send this word to them, to us. It is in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, when I first moved to America, uh, to San Diego, I remember going to the grocery store. I've never had this before. I love lemonade. And so my mom and I and my sister went to the grocery store. We pick up this kind of small can of lemonade in the freezer section. And I thought it's kind of one of those like Slurpee and I love lemonade. I just told my mom, why don't you just go buy, buy that and we'll drink it at home. It's a hot summer day. So when we get home, I open it. It's really weird because I never have a can of lemonade like that. Usually it's a pop and you just pour it out. But this one is strange. It has this kind of pull kind of paper thing and a foil line and just kind of unwrapped it. And before you know it, the whole thing just kind of pop open and then you have a, a literally a a ice, icicle of lemonade. But I, I didn't care because it was so hot. So I ended, I ended up just dumping it all into a cup and started drinking it. Now, I love lemonade. In fact, I love really sour lemonade. But what I realized, and I've never had that when I was in Hong Kong, is that there is something called concentrated lemonade. See, that can of lemonade is so concentrated, it is meant to be diluted with water. So I didn't know that. I just chucked the whole thing and I was like, this is so sour. This is so sweet. Like what, what kind of things do Americans really drink? Like are they dad that loves sugar that much that need to drink super uh, sweet lemonade and like sour that much to drink that sour of a lemonade? Lo and behold, I realized later on that it is a concentrated. I'm supposed to mix that with water. The reason why I share with you about this is because the text that we're looking at today I would argue is a concentrated version, a con concentrated dose of the gospel. Second Corinthians chapter five is where we're going to look at. I invite you to open your, your Bible and or open up your, your app to turn there. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 16. It is a concentrated few verses of the gospel message, the, the, the meat of the gospel that I would argue Paul in his other book in Romans took 16 chapter to explain. But in just these few six verses, he, he concentrated a heavy dose. And we're going to mind that today as we look at what does it mean for us to not just be a receiver of the gospel, but also to be a giver of the gospel. How as followers of Jesus Christ, we are first receiver, but we're also called not just to stay as the receiver, but continue to be a giver of this good, good news of Jesus Christ. If you're a Bible with you, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and follow along. Chapter 5, verse 16, here's Paul writing to the believers in the church in Corinth. If you remember, they were the troubled ones. They were the troubled church. This is, in fact, the fourth letter he's written to them. We only got two out of the four letters. First Corinthians is the second letter. Second Corinthians is actually the fourth letter that we know of. Here's what it says in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. From the very beginning of this passage, Paul pointed out this change that takes place when we become believers of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, 16 says this, from now on, from the moment that you have put your faith in Jesus, here's what's going to happen. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Paul pointed out to the Corinthians that because you are now followers of Jesus, there needs to be a change in your perspective. From now, from the moment you come to know Jesus, there needs to be a drastic change in the way you view life, the way you view one another, uh, the way you view yourself, and the way you view Christ. He said, before you view the world according to your flesh, which is, in other words, saying you view the uh, others or yourself, even Christ, according to the ways of the world. You might view other people as a, pet, a step to get to what you want. You might even consider Jesus to be the barrier for you to experience joy in this life. That is according to the flesh. That is the fleshly way, the humanistic, uh, worldly way of seeing life. But Paul said, because you are now believers, what happens is, you're followers of Jesus. What happens, you need to change the way you see yourself, more importantly, you need to change the way you see Christ. We need to see clearly who I am in Christ, but also what Christ has done for me. He went on in verse, seven, uh, verse 18, uh, 17, one of the more well-known verse tells us that be, because of your change and your identity in Jesus Christ, you need to remember what the identity is. And here's what he says. He said, primarily you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are now a receiver. You receive something called reconciliation. Look at verse 17 to 18. Paul said, therefore, this is new mindset you have. This is the new perspective you need to see yourself and see Christ. He says, says therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What Paul says here is this, you are first and foremost a recipient, a receiver of God's reconciliation. That big word reconciliation used five times in the next three verses, five times. Reconciliation, five times in the next three verses. Reconciliation, a very simple meaning Reconciliation really is from the word uh, kata uh, lege in, in Greek. It's two parts of the word. One part says thoroughly. Aleso really means change. Reconcile means that you have been changed thoroughly inside and out. This is why Paul had that picture in verse 17 that says you are not just a new and approved addition of your previous self. 
No, you are gone, like dead gone, like six feet under gone. Now you are a new creation. You have been changed upside down, inside out, right side in. And so you've been changed completely, and that change, that reconciliation comes, the verse says that it comes only through Christ. Verse 18, that all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Reconciliation has to do more than just God paying our sins, forgiving our sins. God, through Christ, has changed us inside out thoroughly so that now we can stand in righteousness of God before God. This is why in verse 21, the apostle said this, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, depending on who you believe and what your research tell you, uh, the term, uh, uh, either Martin Luther or John Calvin termed this, uh, coined this verse, the great exchange. That radical change inside of us took place because there is a great exchange from God to us. God has used Jesus, sent him to die for us, to pay for our sins. He who knew no sin becomes sin for us. Not that he sinned himself, but he become, took on all of our sins so that now we've been given exchange the righteousness of God. I don't know how you feel about this verse. That is crazy. Like you stand today by faith through, uh, through grace that Jesus has given his righteousness to you. And we rub against that righteousness every day, don't we? Because every single day we rub against, oh, I sin against God again. I need to ask for forgiveness. But God said, in, in your place, Christ has died for your sin in the past, present, and the future. And now, by status, you have the righteousness of God. And here's what reconciliation really means then. Because God has so changed us inside out that we have this thorough change in transformation in our lives that now we no longer, God, when God sees us, he no longer sees Ben in sin, but what he sees is Ben in Christ. So now I can stand, be reconciled, be made well with God, be united with God, that God's hatred towards sins, God's a rightful judgment against my sin no longer exists. Not because I sin less, but the simple mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus dying on that cross had paid for my sin. Now I am reconciled. I made one. My relationship with God can be made anew again, refreshed, just like I was what I was meant to be in the first place. There is no enmity between me and God. And God graciously did that for you and I. This is why in Colossians verse one, chapter 1, verse 21 to 22, Apostle Paul again giving a different church this idea of reconciliation. He says this, And you who was once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, you, me, once alienated, hostile, were enemies, were committed cosmic treason against God, Verse 22, God has now, Jesus has now reconciled 
in his body of flesh by his death. Why? Well, for what purpose? It says in order to present you and I, sinners, holy, blameless, above reproach. I'm ashamed to even use those words on myself, but here's what God says. I love you. My grace is upon you because you trust in me. Now you are declared holy, declared blameless, declared above reproach. So we are first and foremost recipient of this reconciliation. First and foremost, we are recipient, receiver of this great gift of life and salvation that we do not deserve. But here's what I want to point our attention to today because it is so easy to stay on that receiver end and forget that God calls us to be something more. That it is not only for us to be a, 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 a receiver, but we're also to be the giver of that reconciliation we have received from God. Follow along if you go back to verse, chapter, uh, verse 18. I want you to notice the subject. The subject of our reconciliation in verse 18. And it says this, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. The center piece, the center focus of reconciliation is not you or me. Is God. God is the center of reconciling us to himself. God is the one who gave us reconciliation. God is the one who gave us the faith for reconciliation. God is the one who gave us the need for reconciliation. God, all this is from God. But let's be honest, when we look at reconciliation, when we look at this passage, there's a reason why verse 17 seems to be the favorite verse for many of us. It's because somehow we are the beneficiary of this reconciliation and we think it's all about us. But following along in verse 18, Paul reminds us, oh yes, you are that receiver, that receiver of great reconciliation from God. But there is a second part of that verse that says, this, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and that same God who reconciled us gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What Paul is saying is this, God not only saved you, God did not only give you this gift, but he also gave you something to do with the gift that he's given you. He gave you a ministry. That's the calling on your life and my life. If you remember, we walked through John 15 and verse 16. It says this, Jesus said, you did not choose me. But I chose you, and guess what? I appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. As a receiver of the grace and mercy of God, the reconciliation from God, we are called to move from being a receiver to being a giver of that exact same reconciliation that we ourselves have received. He gave us this ministry of reconciliation, and it went on, verse 19, not only is it a ministry, he has also given us the message of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us believers, receivers of that reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. So brothers and sisters, if you ever wonder what is God's will for your life, 
And I believe many of us in our congregation wrestle with that question. If you ever wonder what is God's purpose for you, this is it right here. You are given, called, ordained to have a ministry of reconciliation. And that is beyond just horizontal, human-human reconciliation. We should do that. But beyond it, God has given you a ministry. He said, I'm entrusted. I'm giving you the very message that saves you. And I want you to do something with others with that same message. You are a minister. That is your primary calling. So if you don't know what your purpose in life is, that's your purpose in life. Yes, we're to worship God. Yes, we're to adore Jesus. And the very fact you're still on earth, Paul reminds us, is that we are to be minister of reconciliation. You know, when, uh, when I first got hired as a, uh, at this church, back then we were still a part of FCPCLA, um, I've received a certificate of license, uh, partly just to legitimize that I'm hired by the church. And that comes with certain benefits uh, in, the, in the federal government with, ha- with uh, clergy um, benefits. And so this is the piece of paper that proved that I'm legit uh, full-time workers. But on the other hand, on a more spiritual level, really uh, for, uh, confirming my call to ministry. I want to show you this because I leave this on my, on my, uh, on my bookshelf um, next to my desk, partly just to remind me that I have a ministry called by God to serve the people of God and the lost in this world. But I want to read it to you what it says. Uh, because this is what it says. It's a cert- certificate of license. This is to certify Benjamin Wu, me, who has given evidence that God has called him into the gospel ministry, was licensed to preach the gospel as he may have opportunity and to exercise his gifts in the work of the ministry by First Chinese Baptist Church at Los Angeles, California, May 19, 2013. Signed by the clerk, signed by the senior pastor, Pastor Benny Wong. And as I read that, as I look at that, and, and I can't help but to wonder, isn't what is described here, at least from what I read from 2 Corinthians 5, that is the same call that is for you and for me as Christians? Now, I'm not, I'm not dismissing the call to full-time ministry. I am honored, privileged that I get to be in full ministry full-time. But isn't it true that according to what we just read, every one of us has been given evidence by God that has called us to the gospel ministry. He says it right there. He gave you the ministry of reconciliation. Not only that we're licensed. We don't need the church to license us. You are licensed by Jesus Christ to preach the gospel as you have opportunity. Furthermore, to exercise your gifts in the work of the ministry. And the church has the authority to do that. But beyond that authority, I want to challenge you. I want to remind you that authority comes ultimately from Jesus Christ himself. He said, I'm calling you. And I wonder, should we start passing these out more during baptism instead of the the certificate we have for baptism? We need to pass this out to every single believer in our church that you are licensed, you are called, ordained by Jesus to do the gospel ministry, to do the ministry of reconciliation. That's what we're made to do. You see, this is so important. Because the passage tells us Jesus 
has entrusted us his most important plan here on earth to you and I. Here's what I want you to remember. Write this down. Lost people matters to God, therefore it must matter to you. The lost world should matter to us because the lost world matters to God. Everything that God is doing in this world is to see the lost world to be saved. That is the reason why he saved you in the first place. So that people, so that others also might come to know Jesus. He did not save you just for you. Yes, that's part of it, but that's incomplete. Lost people matters to us because it matters a whole lot to Jesus. It matters enough for Jesus to come down from heaven to earth. It matters to Jesus that he saved you so that you can be his minister of reconciliation. It matters to Jesus so much. He says, through Christ, God reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, verse 19, to forgive them, but to entrust us with a message that will save them. Lost people matters to me because lost people matter to God. Your lost family members matter to you because they matter to God. Your lost neighbor matters to you, should matter to you because he or she matters to God. You know that annoying friend that you have? He or she matters to God. Therefore, he or she should matter to you. Even our enemies. Let me try it out for a size. Even those who are persecuting Christians, they are lost in their brokenness in this world. They matter to God. And because of that, it ought to matter to us. God is working all things to bring this purpose to be fulfilled, COVID or not, beyond COVID, beyond famine, before natural disaster, beyond any trials and suffering that we go through in the midst of all the darkness that we see in this world. God is above them all and God is still purposing for his reconciliation to be brought forth through his word, through his people, to save people, save the lost world. God is above all of those things. In fact, God is using as dark of a canvas we see in this world. God said, this makes it even better for my son to be the light. My son can be shown even brighter so that this message of reconciliation and good news can, be, can, can save people. This is why Paul says, as people with the message of reconciliation. As people who are called to the ministry of reconciliation, we have an identity as ambassador for Christ. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. You know what ambassador is? Ambassador is someone that is sent by an authority to a foreign place to represent that authority. As a country, we send ambassadors to various nations. Those ambassadors represent our interests as a country. They speak on behalf with the authority that is uh, by the United States of America to speak for our interests, to fight for our interests in those countries. 
This is the action I, I think God is calling us to do. That as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to represent Jesus. In fact, Jesus, Jesus through Paul says this, that God is making his appeal through us. You are the mouthpieces, the hands, and the feet of God in this lost world. You are saved to represent Christ, to represent his power, to represent his peace, to represent his presence, to represent his promise. That no matter what's going on in your life, that the promise of Christ is ring true in your life. And we're to show the world that it is true. That our lives are representative, are display, window display of God's goodness in this world. So Paul said, we are ambassadors for Christ. I want to challenge us with three things. Three kind of job descriptions, the job characteristics of ambassador. So for us to live practically as representative of God in this world. First one is this ambassadors are incarnational. Ambassadors are by nature incarnational, meaning that you don't find an ambassador that just go visit the place that they're supposed to represent a country. They don't move there for two weeks and come back home the rest of the year. They don't spend two weeks there in, in Iraq and then 50 weeks spent in America. No, they are all in all the time. Coming home would be the exception. Majority of the time they're spending where they're sent. And here's the challenge I want to give you and I myself even, that as ambassador of Christ, we can easily just live in a Christian bubble. We can live for the weekends. We can live for the, the small group time and forget that we are indeed living in a broken world but the question is, are we engaging that broken world? This is why I'm so excited for our sister, what Phyllis has shared earlier, that they're engaging in the world, the evils of the world. They're incarnating themselves, putting their life in flight. They're not just passing by the world and say that this is out there and nothing to do with me, but we will bring the gospel, we'll bring the goodness of God and engage that. So don't just live day to day in the world and not incarnationally being in touch with the broken world it is so easy to just avoid broken people, isn't it? We can go around them, over them, under them. But ambassador by nature lives in that culture, infiltrating that culture with all the goods and the bad. So that's the first thing I want to challenge you. Be incarnational where God has placed you, at school, at work, in the neighborhood. Here's the second thing. Ambassadors are by nature intentional. They are sent out with a mission. You don't see an ambassador go to a place and say, oh, this is my vacation. I just kind of put my feet up and just enjoy. That would, that would not make that person a good ambassador. An ambassador is by nature sent with a mission to declare, to, to fight for, for uh, the benefit of, of, the, of whoever that they're representing. And I think one way that we need to be intentional is not just be intentional with the people out there. We need to be intentional in dying to ourselves every single day. See, in our heart, we're all mini kings. This is why understanding what we just talked about earlier, that reconciliation has to do with God more than us, is so important. 
Because when we see that we've been reconciled by God for God, then no longer do we elevate ourselves up here and say, God, do what I, need, what I want to do. You come alongside. But we flip that script the way the scripture has it, that God, you're above and you're the king. King Jesus, I am, I'm living for you. See, ambassador needs a daily reminder that I'm living for with a purpose. I'm living with a mission. And honestly, every single day when I wake up, every fiber of my being tells me I want to live for myself. I like a certain way that I like to live. I like a certain preferences that I have. I want comfort. I want ease. But here's where Jesus calls us that we need to die to ourselves. We need to lay down our crown before the king of kings and intentionally do it every single day because today's surrendering is not going to be enough for tomorrow. And we need to be intentional saying no to my own self and say, God, help me to live intentionally for you. And here's the last one. Ambassadors are not only by nature incarnational, they're intentional. Here's the last one. They are by nature invitational. See, an ambassador for, in a foreign country, they don't get to strong arm the other part, the other country and say, you have to do whatever we say. You cannot just like threaten them. If you don't do this, by nature, ambassadors suggest, plead, propose, and that's what God has called us to do, isn't it? We don't get to strong arm someone and say, you have to believe in the gospel. We have no power to argue someone into the kingdom of God. God never told us, you need to win the argument and win the person. And Jesus said, and Paul said this, all we are doing in verse 20, is that we're making our appeal. It says we implore. We plead out of love. We plead, we beg those who are lost and say, tell them that the truth about Jesus and hope that they will be touched by God, by the Spirit of God to come to know Him. So we just send invitation. We can invite them by words. We can invite them by actions. We can invite them to get to know Jesus, to discover Jesus. Here's three specific things I want to challenge us to do in this Christmas season. I believe we're a very unique Christmas here this season. I think for many of us, it's a very sad, sad time because this year we don't get to gather. This year, you don't get to go party. You don't get to go give exchange the way that we've always done. We don't get to go sing carols. And while I'm sad about those things, but I think there is a very unique opportunity for us this year to celebrate and invite people to Jesus. The first thing I want to challenge you is just invite people to come to join our worship service next week. I think you, most of us do that anyway. So that's a, a very low hanging fruit for us. And I will say it anyway, but I want to encourage you that next week when we have worship service, we'll have a more evangelistic message for those who have yet to come to know Jesus. And we want to talk about just the great news of Jesus Christ being born on earth for us. So that's a very easy way for us to invite. But here's the second thing I want to invite us to do and, and challenge us to do. I want to challenge you to come because we can't come to church all together. But because of COVID, we have an opportunity to step up to be minister of reconciliation outside of the walls of the church. 
And one particular way I want to challenge you to do is this. That some of our brothers and sisters have spent a good, good amount of time to put up some decoration outside of our church. With Jesus being the focus, with the manger and nativity scene, and also there's two trees out there that shows, and that says Jesus is the reason, and also Isaiah 9, 6. What I want to challenge you to do is this. You and I both have a platform on social media that we can declare and invite people to come to know Jesus. So I want to invite you, encourage you to come to church, drive by church, take a picture, take a picture with your family, take a picture of yourself, post it online, post it on your Facebook, your Instagram account, whatever social media that you have, and give them a reason why Jesus is your reason to celebrate this season. Come take a picture, show them. Verbalize it, put it on your description, put it on your status. We have an opportunity this year that we get to do that every single day. We don't have to point people to just one day when we have Christmas service. Everyone is online. Everyone is at their home. Go call someone, text someone the reason. Send a picture. Hey, I'm thinking about you. Here's the last one I want to challenge us. Is to invite people to discover Jesus with you through the word of God. Many of us are struggling with various things in this COVID season. Some struggling with loneliness, some with depression, some lost their job, some lose their motivation. You see, when we invite people, it's so much more to invite them to a church. We are inviting people to Jesus. You want to be a guide and come along and help them to discover Jesus. And, and Romans tells us in chapter 10, verse 19, faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. Here's the beauty of technology. You go on version. If you know someone who's struggling with, with different things that they're struggling, go on version. look up a topic and go invite that person. Hey, I, know you, I noticed that you've been struggling with loneliness. You share with them your own struggle don't make it up, be genuine and be real. Hey, would you join me just reading this, the scripture together? Read a plan, five days plan, three days plan. Read the scripture together, help them. Don't preach at them. Work, uh, come alongside with them, learn with them. Discover Jesus with them. Share your failure, share your victory. Help them have an up-close look of what this ministry, this message of reconciliation looks like in your life. I believe there are so many people, people out there right now are lost, confused. And this season, we have the unique opportunity to redeem those hours, redeem those days that we have. Instead of just pointing them to the church, you can be the representative. You can be the minister. You can lift out. You are certified, called by God for this gospel ministry. As I think about this calling we have, it just blows my mind. I can barely stay obedient to God on my own. There are things that I struggle with that I can't see the, at the end of the tunnel. We're in no way perfect, but yet, in spite of all that, God gave us his number one mission 
He entrusts us. He said he will appeal to people, but he will do it through you and I. What a calling we have. What a purpose we can live for. You and I, as one, some, one pastor said, are God's plan A and there is no plan B. And God just wants to make, ask us to be available. To not just stay as receiver, but just continue to grow as giver of the same reconciliation that we have had. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts to revisit this reconciliation that we have already had through Christ in our lives. God, jumpstart our lives, jumpstart our soul to, to feel, to know how great this reconciliation is. God, today I stand before you, not because I am righteous, but I have the righteousness of God in my life. Something that I do not deserve, and yet you pour grace upon grace, love upon love in my life. So God, I pray for myself, I pray for all of us as we're worshiping you right now. Refresh our memory. Stir our hearts to love you. Reminds us once again the great love you have for us. And just like Paul said in chapter 5, would your love compels us? Would your love compels us to die to ourselves so that we can live for you? God, I just want to pray for every conversation that we have, every encounter that we have with our neighbors, with our friends, with our families, every opportunity, help us to represent you well, especially during this Christmas season. So God sent us out. Lord, help us not just to be selfish receiver. Help us to be generous giver of your love and your reconciliation to this broken world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.